May we have your attention, please? For the number of passenger miles travelled, rail travel is the safest form of land transport in Britain. And yet, when something goes wrong, the results can be serious. On the railway, a signal passed at danger, also known as a SPAD, has the potential to put two trains on the same piece of track at the same time, with potentially fatal results. One of the most serious incidents of this type was at Ladbrook Grove in October 1999. The head-on collision and subsequent fire killed 31 people and injured 523 more. It was as a result of the inquiry into that accident that the Rail Safety and Standards Board was formed. Since then, we've done a lot of work to help the rail industry improve its safety record, including reducing the number of SPADs. But we haven't managed to eliminate SPADs entirely. I'm Ant Davey, and today I'm joined by Trevor Parkin and Chris Harrison to talk about what we and the industry have done and continue to do to reduce SPADs, to deliver a better, safer railway. Trevor and Chris, welcome to both of you. Can I ask you each to introduce yourselves to our listeners? Where did you start in the railway and what are you doing now? Trevor. Hi, yes. I'm uh, Trevor Parkin. I'm currently the Head of Operation Standards for East Midlands Railway. I started my career at uh, Doncaster Car Loco back in 1985 as a driver's assistant and then moved to Nottingham uh, in the late 80s as a driver and then went through the usual kind of driver progression as a driver instructor, uh, driver manager, uh, which I did at Nottingham for several years uh, and then moved into operation standards in 2013 and then became an operation specialist and then into my current role as uh, Head of Op Standards, uh, but I'm also the Professional Head of Operations for East Midlands as well. Uh, so that's a, a brief summary of my history. Thank you, Trevor. Welcome. And Chris. Uh, hello, I'm uh, Chris Harrison and I started working in the railway uh, back in 2003 when I joined uh, RSSB. So I'm currently a Principal Risk Analyst and, and my role is to help the industry better understand risk. I do this through developing risk models, carrying out risk assessments, and, and generally providing advice, but in, in particular, um, in the area of train accident risk. Thank you. So, Trevor, may I turn to you first? Would you tell us about the situation with SPADs on the railway around the time of the Ladbrook Grove accident, and what we've been able to achieve since then? Yeah, back in the 90s, uh, I think there was a huge amount of change going on, obviously with privatisation, uh, rail track being set up. It was noticeable that things were changing fast and there were quite a, a few incidents in the 90s as well. Uh, and Labrook Grove coming at the end of that decade, I think really was a huge marker for us that things needed to change. Competence management, training of drivers, signal sighting, all those kind of things were kind of carryovers from British Rail days, but needed to change. So after the Ladbroke Grove incident, I remember as a driver, I was rest day that day and I watched it on the television as it evolved in horror, really, that things like that could happen. So for me, it was a big thing when I came into driver management to help drivers to avoid spads. So really with the kind of investment that took place after that with train protection and warning system, and the amount of work that the railway did to manage SPAD risk and the numbers of SPADs, I think there's been a huge improvement, but a lot of work still needs to be done. By 2003, we'd seen the initial rollout and fitting of the Train Protection and Warning System, TPWS, 
Could you explain what it does and the impact it's had on safety? Yeah, the uh, after Labrook Grove, obviously, there was a, a lot of work looking at what kind of train protection systems are out there. Automatic train protection was just proving too expensive and was not going to be fitted on the whole network. So the industry needed to find something that, that was a bit more cost effective and manage the risk of places like speed restrictions, uh, junction signals, etc., So TPWS basically is a train protection system that manages the approach speed and time it takes to travel between two set points on the approach to things like red signals, speed restrictions, buffer stops, that kind of thing. Uh, And it works with two grids, the Armin and trigger loops, that basically monitor the time it takes the train to traverse the distance. And if the train is uh, traveling too fast, we'll apply the brakes in emergency uh, and bring the train to a stand. So it was designed basically to stop trains reaching the conflict point for signals at junctions. And obviously, it's very effective of doing that. But there are still weaknesses with the system. If a train is going too fast on the approach to a red signal approaching a junction, uh, the train can still reach the conflict point. So that is one of the weaknesses with the system. So it's not really designed to stop SPADs. It's really designed to mitigate the consequence and the risk of a SPAD happening, mainly for signals passed at danger at junction signals. So that was the remit for it, and it has been hugely successful. In the early 2000s, as it was rolled out, we did see the SPAD risk start to decrease. And although drivers did feel at the time that it was a little bit more intrusive than it needed to be, I think uh, you know the driver community welcomed it with open arms. And as we saw from 2006, the SPAD risk from them really started to come down, and it uh, assisted with uh, reducing SPAD numbers as well. Any good system can be improved upon and experience and new technology can affect the parameters that the system works to. Chris, you've worked on reviewing the design of TPWS. Can you give us a brief description of what you were doing and how you went about it? Yes, so I was looking at the the design criteria of TPWS in particular now that we had a significant amount of operational data and that the system was likely to be around for longer than originally anticipated when it was put in, really to see if the current system was optimised in terms of the safety benefit that it could deliver. So what I was trying to do was try and understand the setup and whether it could be optimised, whether the parameters could be changed, really to deliver a greater safety benefit than what it was currently delivering. Now, this meant having to build various um, SPAD risk models, trying to assess what the SPAD risk nationally was, and also at an individual signal level, and trying to see that if we change those parameters, potentially what benefit and how we could optimize the system. So I was trying to come up with an assessment of what the optimized fitment criteria would be. And part of the, the parameters of that model, I wanted to understand the opportunity for a SPAD at a signal. It's quite key to assessing the SPAD risk at signals. And so what I wanted to do was try and understand if there was a way of of actually counting the number of times a a signal is approached at danger. The reason for this is, is to really understand what the opportunity is for a SPAD to occur. So really trying to understand that likelihood of a SPAD at specific signals. And I wanted to do this really to try and put the SPAD risk in context at different signals. So the the hypothesis was that if you have more red aspect approaches, you would expect to see more SPADs occurring at that particular signal. And it was really trying to gauge that for different signals. 
So, Chris, there's a need, among other things, for the industry to understand how often signals are approached at RED. RATS is the RED Aspect Approaches to Signals tool. How can we use it to help reduce the likelihood of a SPAD? Yes, so in terms of RATS, what it allows you to do is look at the types of signals where perhaps the rate of SPADs might be higher or lower than you would expect. So what this system gives you is information across lots and lots of different signals, not necessarily signals where you've seen a SPAD. So for example, you you might be able to look at a signal where you've had thousands and thousands of approaches, yet you haven't seen a SPAD. Now that just may be due to to chance, just, just good fortune. And that there may be other signals perhaps where you've got relatively fewer red approaches, so maybe in the few hundreds, and you've seen a SPAD. So in terms of the rate of occurrence of SPADs at signals, it allows you to put the context in which those SPADs are occurring. So you'd probably be more concerned about a signal once you've normalized. So by normalized, what I mean is, is if you take the number of SPADs and you divide through by that opportunity, that, that those numbers of red aspect approaches allows you to make a much fairer comparison and therefore also be, it makes you be able to highlight where those signals that you really need to concentrate on are. And I think understanding the characteristics of those signals is, is quite key because once you can identify them, you can then start to look at what features of those signals might be causing that, that higher chance, that higher likelihood of a SPAD occurring. So, for example, you know, we know from analysis and assessments that we've carried out in the industry for many years that, that signals on gantries have a higher propensity for being spadded. Also, signals which are sighted when, when you come around a curve, so around a bend, you know, the, there isn't as much chance for a driver to see those, those signals. So generally, these factors all increase the propensity for a spad at a signal. So what you can start to do is being able to compare these signals on a much fairer basis, you can then start to look at the the specific signals where you may have a problem. And by doing this, it allows you to raise awareness, help develop additional training, as well as perhaps considering some of the infrastructure issues, all the things that you want to be able to do to help the industry and the relevant um, you know, the, the operator, the infrastructure manager, network well, for them to understand where the risk is and then identify the controls and mitigations that they can put in place to help reduce that likelihood of SPAD and with the overall aim of, of course, bringing SPAD risk down. And in addition to that, you know, we hope that by getting rats actively used by the safety teams in their day-to-day activities and monitoring, you know, we, can, we can as an industry share this learning, support and collaboration, and in particular, you know, in the sort of national picture of SPAD risk management. So everyone understands what their part is and they can carry it out effectively. Thank you. Trevor, as an operations manager, can I get your point of view? Yeah, I mean, when uh, RATS was first mooted, we were definitely excited by what it could do for us. One of the uh, key things for us is timetable change. So being able to look at the profile of red signals before and after timetable change would enable us to manage our risk. We'd also use it for route risk assessment so that we could build that into our route training packs for drivers Uh, going forward and post SPAD analysis as well. It's very important that when we have SPAD incidents, which we obviously continue to do, is that we can see if there's been any profile with the uh, propensity of red signals in that area, uh, cautionary aspects, that kind of thing. So there's a number of areas where we can use this. And I think what we need to do going forward is just to really understand how to use it effectively. And obviously, Chris and the RSSB team are helping us do that. And Chris, is there anything you'd like to add to that? 
So one of the other benefits of the RATS tool is that it also provides us with information about signals that haven't been spatted. Um, so we can be potentially more proactive. So using the data to understand the features, characteristics of signals that have been spatted, we can use that to look for signals perhaps that we haven't seen a spad yet to try and proactively put measures in place to try and stop spads from even actually happening. So it, it really is about moving from a more reactive to a more proactive approach to SPAD management. Trevor, the number of SPADs continued a long-term trend downwards well into 2012 and reached a significant low when the risk associated with SPADs was less than 40% of that of its 2006 level. Then it started to rise again. What was the industry's reaction to that rise? I think the industry had been uh, performing well in terms of reducing SPAD numbers and SPAD risk from 2006 and the impact that TPWS had. And then we saw in years such as the Olympic year in 2012, how a sustained focus on kind of operational delivery could also reduce the number of SPAD numbers and risk. And kind of after that, the numbers, they continued to kind of improve, but started to slow down. The industry recognised that there are a lot of things that we're doing out there from competence management and non-technical skills, human factor type elements and various initiatives with infrastructure and new trains. But we needed to continue to force that reduction in SPAD numbers and risk. So in the mid-2010s, there was the initiative to develop the SPAD strategy. Uh, A lot of work was done analysing the requirement for the SPAD strategy and what was causing SPADs. And I think that really drove us to an area where we came to five key points to consider, which was things like driver management, the role of the driver, cab and infrastructure design, and also competence management. So from that point, we got to the end of 2017, where the SPAD strategy was uh, ready to be launched and, and there, there was a you know a, a lot of work done to promote it at the time and get it out there to industry and that's kind of where we got to with the SPAD strategy uh, and basically that strategy acts as a good practice guide you can pick various guidance out of the document that uh, enables you to kind of implement strategies uh, in those five key areas so yeah and, and we were kind of really Uh, happy with the work that we've done to get the strategy to that point uh, at the end of 2017. Trevor, you're currently the chair of the SPAD risk subgroup. Can you tell us why this group was set up and what it hopes to achieve? Yeah, certainly. uh, After the the, the kind of fanfare of the launch of the SPAD strategy, I'd recently joined the train accident risk group. And I was finding from my work at uh, the Ops Rams, the train ops subgroups and other industry forums, that the SPAD strategy wasn't landing, it wasn't getting out there, uh, the knowledge of it seemed to be limited in some areas and, and, and poor in others. So I certainly felt that we needed to do more work to promote the strategy and implement it across the board, really. So I, I raised that train accident risk group and felt that the SPAD strategy working group should continue and that we move into an implementation phase for the strategy. So in early 2018, the group was reconvened. I ended up as chair of the subgroup, and we're now taking forward a series of initiatives to kind of 
implement the SPAD strategy. And that, that's what we did in the early phase, really. We did a lot of survey work around what the knowledge of the strategy was, at top level with ops directors, right down to people on the front line. So we could really understand whether people were aware of the strategy and the guidance contained within it, and, and were they implementing it. And I think that kind of gave us a little bit of concern that it hadn't hit home. So since then, we've been doing a lot of work around promoting the strategy. We've developed a series of initiatives within there about education and promoting why SPADs happen. We've done more work around analysing and understanding why SPADs happen. And also, we've been involved with the creation of the SPAD toolkit on the RSSB website, uh, and we're kind of busy promoting that as well, so that all the operators or all the people who are interested in this kind of topic have access to all the tools that they need to manage SPADs. Most recently, what we've started to do is get drivers, driver managers, and, and going forward, we'll get uh, signalling staff and local operations managers involved so that we're actually talking to the people on the front line about why SPADs are happening and what they can do to manage it. So that is really what the SPAD risk subgroup is there to do. Um, we continue to feed into train accident risk group and go out to the local route groups, the train up subgroups, to promote what we're doing. That's very interesting, Trevor. It's obviously vital work and something that we need to communicate to the industry to get as many people as possible involved in using it. Yeah, absolutely. And Chris, is there anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, so there's one thing I'd like to add, which is that as RSSB is a, is a member-led organisation, it's really important for us to understand the issues that our members are facing. And SPADRIS subgroup is, is an excellent forum for, for understanding what is going on in terms of SPAD risk and the issues that, that our members face. So for me personally, it's, it's been really good to be a member of the group and to, and to hear what's going on and the issues that I can help. Because again, that's principally part of my role is to help the industry better understand and better manage SPAD risk. Chris, you're working on the RATS tool right now. What are the challenges that the industry faces? Over the last few years, one of the sort of biggest challenges is, is getting the tool sort of operationally working on live data. So we've, we've cracked that challenge and now the tool is available. And since October last year, it's been available to the industry. Now, currently, it only covers around about a third of the network. And that's principally due to sort of limitations in the, in, in the underlying data. So the tool is based on two data feeds that Network Rail provide. So one looks at the, the signal status. So it tells you whether a signal is red or not red. And then the other data feed tells us information, provides us timings for when trains enter and exit um, signal sections. So the algorithms basically put these two feeds together, match them up for a particular signal, and then our algorithms churn through the data and estimate the number of times trains are approaching those signals at red. Now, the, the limitations that that, particularly the signal information, is only available for around about a third of the network. That's, that's the principal limitation. But the train movement data is actually available for about 85% of the network. So what we want to be able to do is, is really extend the coverage of rats so that we can cover as many signals as possible. And over time, that signal information, as, as new signaling schemes come online, actually that percentage, you know, a third of the network that provides the signal status messages will actually increase naturally. But we want to get there quicker. You know, we want to, we want to maximize that 85% as soon as we can. So what we currently have on is a series of projects which are helping us to work out if there's something that we can do with that 
that train movement data on its own to actually estimate the number of times signals are being approached at red. So we have a strategic partnership with the uh, University of Huddersfield, and that was indeed the uh, the mechanism by which RATS was originally developed. We have, we have a new project which is looking at trying to use this train movement data and the early results are encouraging. And if we can get that to work, then potentially we can get rats working on about 85% of the signals in the country. We also want to see if we can start trying to look at um, red aspects by train journeys rather than by signal approach. So at the moment, RATS is very much focused on what happens at a specific signal. But from the operator perspective, what would be really good and what they've been asking for is, can we kind of turn that on its head a bit? And instead of looking at it by signal, can we look at it by train service? So in other words, if you look at a particular train journey, can you actually pull out from the from the data all of the different aspects that that particular train has experienced on its journey? Not just reds, but also the greens, the yellows, the double yellows. And this will really benefit in terms of performance. So I'm trying to understand on a particular journey where a train is is being delayed, perhaps where there are issues perhaps with the timetable. And again, this sort of highlights another point about rats that originally when we we started off developing the tool, it was very much from a safety perspective, very much from this need to try and understand how trains were approaching red signals, likelihood of, of, of a SPAD. But as we've developed the tool and as we've presented it to people and presented it to the wider industry, it certainly captured the interest of, of the performance side of the industry because they realize that you know the information that we've got, if we can marry that up with performance, you, you have potentially a very powerful tool. But from our perspective, what we're developing is something called rabbits. So red aspects by train services. So if we can get this feature working and incorporate it into the RATS tool, that's also going to be a, a, enable uh, another step change in the understanding of red aspect approaches for the industry. Thank you, Chris. It's nice to hear that one of our tools is actually being used to help performance as well as to increase safety. Trevor, my final questions to you. Chris has mentioned the need to get the industry using the RATS tool. As chair of the SPAD risk subgroup, can you tell us how important it is for people to start using the tool and how would they go about it? Yeah, it's important that as the uh, functionality and the coverage of the, of the RATS uh, and the future rabbits tool are available, that we start to use it as much as possible. I think that, uh, that there is a lot of excitement about uh, what RATS at the moment can deliver. And like I say, we continue to promote that to the various operators for when they're doing their signal sighting, etc. So at the SPAD risk subgroup, we continue to promote the use of RATS and obviously keep educating on how it can be used best, when it can be used and what the outputs are uh, from the RATS tool. And, and obviously, we will continue to update on the progress with rabbits as uh, that develops and is brought into a usable tool. Chris Harrison from RSSB and Trevor Parkin of East Midlands Railway, thank you both for giving us a great insight into some of the ways that we're all working to deliver a better, safer railway. And thank you all for listening. I hope you've found this interesting. If you have any comments on this podcast or any other thoughts, please email me at podcasts at rssb.co.uk. Until the next time, thank you again for listening and goodbye.